Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it is broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival. The 8th annual New York City premiere will be October 2023, along with the 5th annual New York Cat Film Festival before traveling the country, supporting local animal welfare groups. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at TracyHotchnerPets.com. I would not be able to bring you this show without the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their kitties. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. This show would not be possible without the longtime support from Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food. Other pet food companies may have copied them over time, but Waruva remains privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards, not investors who focus on profits. I am so glad that I read the Times of London and The Guardian because I came upon a book review of a book I thought, oh, please, we must have this book in America. I can't wait to read this book. It's called Dog Hearted, Essays on Our Fierce and Familiar Companions. And it is just itself a gem, but it has nine amazing writings in it. Two of them from the editors, who are British, and the others from, I think we're going to find out, from, from Rowan Hiseo Buchanan, who's here to talk to me about it may even have been friends of theirs. Rowan, when I read about the book, it, which had, was such a glowing review, I thought, oh, this is so English. This is so not American. This is so intellectual, but also to the point. And that's exactly what the book feels like to me. I'm afraid that when often when Americans write about dogs, it gets a little gooey and treacly and a little bit kind of nostalgic and the essays that you both wrote and then accumulated in Dog Hearted go to something kind of deeper and higher in terms of the dog-human relationship. And I don't know if that's a difference in our cultures or just the way that you and your, your wonderful co-editor, Jessica Lee, looked at dogs and people. When you wrote your own essay that's in the book, was that one of the things that inspired you to collect other essays or did you write it after you decided to have a book of essays? 
I did write it after we decided to collect uh, this group of essays. And it's really interesting what you were saying, because I'm a bit American, and there are a couple of American contributors. So Esme Weijian Wang is actually lives in San Francisco, oh. and Carl Phillips is also an American. But um, so we, when we were conceiving of the idea, we, Jess and I were walking our dogs in Hampstead Heath and we were talking about all of these really intelligent writers we knew yes. who were so thoughtful about everything in the world <clears throat> who we also knew had very close relationships to their dogs. And so maybe some of what you're talking about, and I'm very grateful for your kind description, comes from that, from the fact that they weren't necessarily writers who had gone out of their way to write about dogs. Right. We just knew that they were really thoughtful, incisive people and that they loved their dogs and we wanted to give them the opportunity and the space to think about that relationship. Now, some of them had been already written, right? Or at least one of them had been in another journal before you brought it to the book. But did everyone else write it just fresh for you, so to speak? Um, so, ac- um, so actually... Everyone wrote them fresh, but Carl Phillips has a poem as part of his essay, and the poem had been published somewhere else, but the essay is new. Um, But everyone else wrote it, especially for the collection. And then Cal Flynn's piece got excerpted and published elsewhere. Oh, I see. So you've brought them, you you brought them on a platter to us, and then other publications (laughs) thought, well, that looks really juicy. We want to have that in our publication. I guess... I don't want to give anyone the impression that you have to put on your thinking cap to read these essays in Dog Hearted, but you do have to just open yourself up to very different ways of looking at the dog-human relationship because each person is unique. And as you say, they're very serious thinkers and writers. And I, I would say, you know, broad generalities are always dangerous, but in a country like Great Britain where hundreds of people will pay tickets to go listen to a poet, read their poetry. That idea is so completely alien in America where, you know, I can't even describe what people would, hundreds of people would buy a ticket to go do that was something so cultural or literary in that sense. And I guess this book is sort of like, it feels like going to a gathering of very smart people who are doing, I guess you could call them like TED Talks. I don't know if you have TED Talks there, but very smart people speaking from the heart and from the mind about something that matters to them and that they have a particular point of view about. I think one of the things that was most interesting to me, and and of course it must have occurred to you and Jessica Lee, your co-editor, is that both of your essays were about runts, that you had both picked, chosen runts from litters, and how that affected mostly your relationship with those dogs as well as their relationship with the world. That must have been just a clear coincidence, but did it not strike you a bit as well? It did, um, because we wrote our essays separately and then sent them to each other. And I had sort of known in the back of my head that her dog was a runt and vice versa, but I hadn't really focused on it until we looked at those essays. And um, well, I think we say different things about oh, what yes. having a runt means, but it was really intriguing to me and I think in part because as I mentioned we, you know we used to walk our dogs together and 
our dogs really got on very well with each other, but they were both quite nervous about other dogs and dogs in the world. And so I think it makes sense in a way, looking back on it, we're going, oh, yeah, these two dogs ha- themselves were quite nervous at the world, perhaps because they are both runts and they're a little less certain about things. Very possibly. And also, I mean, if you were to do another book of essays about dogs, which I really wish you would, because this is so rich. I sort of gulped it down. You're supposed to read essays one at a time and then take a pause. But I was like, what's next? I went had to go back and look at some of them because I just sort of galloped through them. They were so different and interesting in the way that people thought about their dogs and how they'd come to have these dogs and their relationship with them. But the idea of, of two people walking their dogs together as being even a central part of their the human relationship is something I've experienced a lot through my life. And until you said that about you and Jessica Lee, I hadn't thought of it. And there's something to that. There's something that's completely different than any other kind of human relationship when you periodically walk with your dogs in the world. And I wonder if that's something that wouldn't be another essay you could write. Because when I think about really a number of really important relationships in my life that really mattered to me. They mostly took place around us walking our dogs together, whether it was the woods in East Hampton or the beach in Southampton or a a very odd place in Los Angeles when I lived there called Tree People, which was a dusty hillside full of supposedly trees that were being planted to replant trees. But I don't know how they ever survived. It was so dry and dusty and had rattlesnakes and fleas and stuff. But it was someplace that I went all the time. I had three dogs. My friend had two. It was so sad. Her dogs wouldn't play with mine. And it really has a lot. And you have conversations with people in those situations. I guess this book is sort of you brought together writers having conversations with you, the editors, about their dogs. You've sort of taken a walk with them in a way. Does that seem at all possible? I think that's an incredibly beautiful way of putting it. So thank you for sharing that. And I, I agree. I think when you you can't say to someone, oh, I'd like to meet up with you every week or every right. other week and just hear everything that's going on in your heart. But you can say, oh, let's walk our dogs together. Yes. And then everything else sort of flows from that. It does. That's a really important thing and something that that people listening should think about. I mean, dog walking can be very pleasant and and solitary if you're in a beautiful country kind of setting and you want to do that whole, you know, make yourself one with nature. But it's also a really wonderful way in a kind of stream of consciousness to be with someone and talk about either large or or silly things, you know, what's on sale at the supermarket. But it's, it is a connective, it's a connective tissue for people in a time when I think a lot of us have close friends Rowan and now Jessica's moved to Germany, so you can't really walk your dogs together. But we don't have enough connection to each other in this kind of casual way. And the book has this feeling of these writers letting us into stories about themselves and their dogs that seem very personal and sometimes extremely intimate. I would say your essay is astounding in that sense, how much you opened up about the pain that you felt on losing a puppy young and also on your mental health issues as a young woman, as a teenager. Was this the first time you'd written about that? 
I think I'd I've sort of written about it a little bit before, but not in I'd never written about the relationship with that puppy and I think you know, it's one of these things where I look back at the time I didn't realise but that there was something incredibly hopeful about wanting to save or protect another living being when you've been in a dark mental place yourself and you can't really see the point of anything and suddenly wanting to help and although that in some ways is quite a sad essay I hope that readers don't find it too sad in part because I now have the relationship I have with my current dog where I'm much less sad than I was when I was a teenager. Um, but and I can look back on that earlier time and see the seeds of recovery in it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I think that, you know, to casually start an essay with the line that um, that <laughs> your friend at 16 said to you, please live to 22. And you just, that's just, in any clever writing, it's the throwaways that, that catch us off guard. And then the story of this this dog, the family dog, and the puppies, and what she did with them and to them, and then the one you tried to save. And it really isn't anything so trite and compact as I think in America we like to say, oh, the dog saved me, or we saved each other. And you, you do have an essay about that. And that is often certainly true. But in your case, it was so much more complex and so much more nuanced and hard to kind of come up with, well, what's the moral of that story? It's just as a story. It's a story about a human trying to survive and a puppy trying to survive and then the next dog as well. And luckily there was a next dog and you did survive. And you never stop yeah. thinking about the one who didn't, the puppy who didn't survive. And I think that, you know, we carry all of that within us and we don't often stop to unpack it and think, well, what did that say about me at the time? Why did I choose that kind of dog? Or why does that kind of dog or that personality, why was that what I was drawn to? In that case, it was a tiny puppy that probably would have died. Anyway, and you wanted to save it. And, and I think we've all had those moments in life and then you just kind of close it off. And I think that the book is a lot of opening up of those feelings. And I think that in reading it, it, will, it makes whoever reads it, if they've had dogs or they have a dog, stop and think a little differently about the relationship of people in general with dogs, dogs with each other, but also just what is that interaction? I mean, some of the, some of the essays, the person's whole life is taken up with a very needy, clingy, complicated dog and that's just what it is that was jessica's wasn't it yeah she um yeah i mean she loves her dog but her dog has a cleft palate and so she sort of writes about the very particular care that a cleft palate dog needs and i think she you know she at the time had a baby she's now a toddler right and you know, i think she was thinking about the care and acts of care and how do you how do, how do you understand what part of a personality comes from the things that are tough yes. in your life? Yes. And, um, and you know, but she adores that dog and many of her favorite qualities of that dog aren't typical of his breed. But And she sort of wonders, is this just him? Is this some reaction to being in cuff palate? I, I personally was very touched by the bit where she describes the fact that 
as a puppy because he couldn't feed from his mother. He was swaddled and fed from a bottle. Yes. And um, and that he, and that he was, sat on a chair, right, Rowan, and watched the other yeah. dogs suckling. There was a, I mean, it was the simplicity of the writing throughout the book, the clarity. It's, you know, there's no unnecessary adjectives and there's no, and here's what I mean to say by that. The writers are all such good writers, and I'm sure you did some editing as well, that everything comes across in such a subtle way. And it, of course, makes it more powerful because you think, wait, this little puppy has to watch all his brothers and sisters suckle. I I just want to say something about the first piece, which is one of the things that was written about in the glowing review in the British press. Table Scraps, the woman who befriended what had been a sled dog in the north of Finland and the difficulty that dog had adjusting to, to supposedly a life of comfort. And I think that's something we all need to think about. You know, when we take in dogs from wherever we take them in, of course, we're doing them some kind of a favor. I mean, you know, they're surviving and they're getting affection to the extent that they want it and food to the extent that they need it. But it isn't always the, the best solution for them or, or would have been their choice. And I'm sure that's one of the reasons that that piece is first in the book and first in the mind of reviewers. Did you particularly sort of think that that would be be the best way to draw people into the book? Because I think it is. I'm so glad you think so. I think we were particularly um, won over by the fact that, well, not, not only won over, but the essays in the book are quite different from each other. There yes. are some that are quite sweet and humorous you know there's just pounds which is just about writing a wish list for the right. ideal partner and forgetting to write dog lover you know it's quite joyful and then right. them quite sort of sadder more serious ones and i think cal flynn's piece about that sled dog really bridged the two for yes. us you know it deals with some very difficult things and that image at the end where she's gone to the butchers yes to get the blood. blood for her dog yes. to drink on one level it's brutal but it's also such an act of love and care and that sort of combination I think very much is the spirit of the collection is to not flinch from looking at the more wild creaturely ways of dogs but also to acknowledge the love and the relationship between um, humans and their pets and that that felt as important and sort of so I feel like that felt like a good introduction to what was to come. I absolutely agree. It could not have been better and stays on the mind for a long time. Rowan, we've we've come to the end of our time. I just cannot say enough good things about Dog Hearted, essays on our fierce and familiar companions, edited by Rowan Haseo Buchanan and Jessica Lee. Congratulations. Please do a second one. I beg you. There's so much Thank There's you. so much more to be said, I'm sure, and you have so many brilliant friends, and you are both brilliant writers yourselves. Thank you for being here, and Thank thanks for this so beautiful, beautiful book. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. This show is supported by Wonderside, a company founded and run by a woman entrepreneur who wanted to find an effective natural way to keep fleas, ticks, and other pests away from her pets and home instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes plant-powered products to keep parasites at bay without dousing your pets and property with ingredients that are harmful to them and the planet.
The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and have been doing that for 14 years and answer only to their own high standards without interference from venture capital investors. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, also privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative Dog Chew No Hide and the hybrid dog food Wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky blue Weimarano Maisie will eat. <laughs> 